This episode of Inside Acting is brought to you by Samovar Tea. To learn more, visit samovarlife.com and by listeners like you. To find out more about the podcast and make your own donation, please visit insideactingpodcast.com. Welcome to episode 41 of Inside Acting. I'm AJ Meyer. I'm Trevor Elgott. And we are in 2011. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy belated New Year. Happy belated New Year. Yes, we're back. Back in the studio. Um, back on the saddle again. Season two. Season, yeah. As, as I, it were. I love that you said that earlier. Season two of Inside Acting. <laughs> and uh, if you're new to the podcast or just catching up, uh, what we do on this podcast is we interview casting directors, directors, managers, agents, actors. Um, everybody from the entertainment industry, and then we package it up in this little podcast and deliver it to you. Yes, and uh, to that end, we'd like to make sure that we keep this as open a dialogue as possible. In fact, we are we are going to have a conversation today with uh, a listener who called in and left us a voicemail about something that he maybe didn't agree with, and we love that stuff because we don't pretend to know everything. We're just two dudes from the podcast, and we're working our way through this uh, industry just like everybody else. So That's right. Um, if you want to comment, there's a ton of ways to get in touch with us and let us know your thoughts and feelings and whatnot and uh, that's all available on our website insideactingpodcast.com and we've got a fantastic interview lined up for you guys today Uh, part one of our interview with casting director Marcy Liroff who I don't think I mentioned this in the interview although she does kind of drop a couple of her her, the things that she's worked on but she has been around since E.T. She cast E.T., the extraterrestrial, the Steven yeah. Spielberg film. Yeah. Um, went on to cast Raiders of the Lost Ark for him. She cast Poltergeist, Footloose. More recently, she cast Mean Girls. Yeah. I mean, she's um, a, a feature film casting director, which we have yet to have on the podcast. We were very excited to talk with her. By the time that you guys hear this, we'll have some uh, additional goodies up on the website. Yes, yes. We're going to have um, some additional content besides audio. Hint, hint. Okay, but we've got some uh, listener voicemails to get to, or do you want to do the uh, the catch ups? Well, I want to catch up session? because it's been, I mean, our, it's been like what it's been like a month and a half now since we last sat at this table last That's year right. and kind of did our 2010 wrap up and last now we're year. now we're like three and a half weeks into 2011 so and weird. uh you know um so much stuff has happened i feel like i don't even know what to talk about because i know we would run out of time yeah well what's what's but, new with you i mean give me give me the, give me the the, the 30,000 foot version 30 second version <laughs> if, if that's possible it's not but i will give some highlights um i did want to kind of let our listeners know because i think people were following along with the drama of my audition and potential booking down in san diego yeah uh i didn't i did not book the job i did not uh i was not cast in that play down in down in san diego at the old globe however i got the most fantastic feedback ever and i feel like the whole idea of feedback has been kind of a strange one to me lately because i i I, I don't know if it's something that actors always get. I mean, sometimes they never do. My manager says she she doesn't always like getting it because sometimes it's them just blowing smoke up your butt saying things like, you know, oh, we decided to go in a different direction and blah, blah, blah. So they were they had me on a veil for the longest time, for weeks. 
Cool. I went in for the lead, and the director had me read a different part, and they loved me for this part, and they were like really interested in me in play, playing this other part. And eventually, um, my agent manager got an email from them, and it was like the best possible way to not get a job. So this email, <laughs> <clears throat> this email basically said, "We really like him. We're totally going to keep him in mind for other projects, but in the end, it just you no, know, he wasn't exactly what we were looking for." They said that I was actually. <laughs> too much of a stud for the role the casting director apparently was making out with my headshot this is in this is quoted from the email the casting director was making out with my headshot i was too much of a stud uh for what they were going for but that they were going to keep me in mind for other projects so like what a great like i was you know of course i was a little disappointed because i really want i have family down in san diego i was really looking forward to kind of like living down there for eight weeks or so but how, like I can't think of a better way to not get a job. He's he's too good looking and and potentially too good of an actor. Like what what best rejection ever ever right? Well rejection that's that's we don't that's, we don't use we that don't word use, on the podcast. We don't use that word, and that's 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 but you. Trip. If we were going to use it, this would be a great example of a the best way to actually ever possibly. I get just rejected. had to share that story because that's amazing. You know, I mean, there's so I'm. One the other thing that I wanted to kind of share with regarding the audition process is I've been thinking about this so much about how when you go in that room and we talk about it with Marcy too, like the people in that room may not even be the decision makers. You know, frequently they aren't. Frequently they aren't. And yes, you want to build relationships with these cast directors so that they bring you in and your your the number of times you audition go up and therefore your chances of booking something go up, but. Once they put you on, t- you know, I went in for um, a Sony Pictures Television feature film for the lead two days ago. It was for a you know movie of the week mi- mini series for Lifetime. My manager asked me how the audition went. I told her it went great. She reached out to the casting director and they said it was a great audition, but he's too old because they were looking for somebody mm-hmm. who reads between seventeen mm-hmm. and twenty-two, mm-hmm. and I don't. That's not. I didn't do anything wrong i went in yeah. there I, I i did my work i had a good audition and hopefully that casting director will bring me in for other stuff yeah i yeah. don't know somehow it's all related i don't really know I, I hope i'm not rambling but i've just been thinking about this so much and i i knew i wanted to kind of bring it up on the podcast so no it's, <laughs> it's good stuff it's really good stuff Congrats on the wonderful reasons to not be. <laughs> Congratulations on not booking. Thank you. Well, thank you. But you're booking the office. You know, you're booking the office. So what's been going on with you, man? Um, I mean, I kind of know because I've, I've been yeah, there. Yeah, you, you know, man. There. Yeah, I mean, uh, the musical group that I've been doing, we've been getting so much good press um, and a lot of really great, wonderful audiences. And I sent out an email to family and friends a few weeks ago saying, you know, it's, it's tough a lot of the times when you're in a project to tell whether or not it's really, it's good. You know, sometimes you just lose perspective and you can't really tell. You're just in the project and you're trying to be honest and just do good work and you don't really know. Some audiences laugh, some audiences don't. Some audiences say they love it, some audiences don't see anything, you know? So, right. And you've been working on it for a long time, too, since because like, it was... Since, like, late October. Early right, November, it was yeah. workshopped and you guys did a preview, you know, a, a couple weeks of previews, yeah. so... Yeah. Yeah, but it's been, it's been really fun. We've been getting great response from audiences, from the press... Um, and last night, actually, we had a ton of people come who are listeners of the podcast and Twitter friends, um, which was really very cool. I, I came out from the dressing rooms, you know, afterward to say hi to everybody. It was like a welcoming committee. 
and it was any, really cool. Any highlights for from the IAP? Let's see. Daniel Pierce was there, nice. um, who is Death Persuasion on Twitter. Ben Whitehair was there, who our listeners should know from uh, our Thrival Job episode. His girlfriend Maven LA. She's on on Twitter, Maven LA. And then I had Brian Belomo from episode two, episode two, right? Who came to see it with his girlfriend and this girl Sandra that you and I both work with. I mean, it was really really cool. And they all had great things, and they they went on Twitter and and talked about how much they enjoyed the musical, and you know that. That was pretty awesome. So that's cool. It's man. been a good experience. Tonight is closing night, and uh, I'm a little sad to be saying bye to this show for now because it's been such a great experience. But I'm also thankful to kind of be having the the headspace, the mental space back, sure, and to really kind of shift my focus over the next few months to film and television. Well, and and you know, you and I and our producer Nelson, we got we got big fish to fry. So you know, it's yeah, gonna it's gonna be helpful to have the the uh, the brain space. I, I totally understand that. So let's jump over to what voicemails or emails? Uh, we've got a couple emails I'd love to get to. Yeah. And the first one, um, we're overdue for this. Uh, I think Matt Wilder, who some of our, our uh, I guess older listeners would would know, long time listeners, long time listeners. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Matt's been a, a supporter of the podcast for a long time, and he's been very really great about communicating with us. And uh, if you guys remember from several episodes back, he booked a gig with Nickelodeon on a cruise ship, mm-hmm. and uh, it was really he had a great audition. Called us right after the audition, then told us he booked it, was off on the cruise ship, and then he sent this email to us around the first of the year um, that said he was debating whether or not to tell us about this, but he decided to because it's all about a learning experience. And long story short. Matt said, I had a really tough time because I did this cruise for three weeks with Nickelodeon and uh, they came up to me after those three weeks were over. And it was, keep in mind, it was supposed to be a six month gig. Yeah. Three weeks later, they said, uh, great work, but you don't fit the brand. We're going to have to let you go. And, uh, and Matt's just, he's wonderful about being really honest because this is exactly what we're about on the podcast. But he wrote in, he's just like, I feel so deflated and I just feel like, ouch, you know, that was a blow, man. Yeah. Um, and we did, just so you guys know, we did ask his permission to kind of have this conversation. Yeah. Very cool that Matt sent this to us. And he just kind of was just like, he. I think he wanted, it was less of a question and more of like a, this is what happened to me. And I think if we were to respond to it, we would, we would talk about, you know, maybe have you or I ever been in a situation like this where we were really excited and into a project and then it didn't work out or it did work out for a little bit and then it didn't work out, you know? Right, so, right, right. That's tough. I mean, yeah. you ever, off the top of your head, have you had anything you've I have done with never like experienced anything close to this other than the typical rejection. <laughs> there I go using it again. The typical no's, the closed doors and stuff like that that happen in our careers in, in the acting world and the entertainment industry. I've never like booked something and then have it, you know, not work out or you know have you know the, the sort of carpet pulled out from under my feet yeah. like this. So I can't I can't really empathize other than like I said the the typical you know day to day rejection that yeah. that we go through as as actors. I mean that must be a really a really tough blow, especially since like my the thing the, my response was like he didn't do anything. You yeah. know, he didn't like make a choice and like get drunk on the cruise ship and like, you know, go on yeah. stage, you know, get caught with a stripper or, or something. something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, 
<clears throat> and yet there's actors out there like Charlie Sheen who do that all the time and they still work. Yeah. You know, that, that drives me crazy. Yeah. That drives me bonkers. But, and that's, that's probably the toughest part is that like he's, Matt's very good at what he does. I mean, I, I've been to his website. I've looked at his hosting reel and yeah, he's, you can check, he's got YouTube videos and stuff. Yeah. Like he's that. really good at what he does. And for somebody to say, you're great. Um, Oh, now that we've seen your work, we changed our mind, but it, I, I don't think it, they were attacking him personally. I think it was more, it was like they said, it was a brand thing, but I can see how it would come across as personal. Well, you can't, I mean, how could you not take that personally? That's yeah. what he does for a living, basically. He does like yeah. these hostings of, he, you know, he hosts like kids shows and stuff like that. And if they say like, you're not, you know, you don't mesh with the Nickelodeon, I mean, Nickelodeon, I mean, how many other brands out there do you associate with children's programming? Yeah, seriously. You know, there's PBS, there's Nickelodeon, there's maybe Cartoon Network, which is not even humans. <laughs> I mean, other than other than the voices, no, they right? have they have some uh, real life shows now. Cartoon Network, yeah, okay, yeah, they branch right. into real life, and then there's Disney, uh, you know, yeah. So, well, I, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is a this is this is kind of like a breakup to me. To the feeling must be like Ooh, breaking up with yeah, somebody yeah, that yeah, you were yeah. just like head over heels for, and and the other thing that comes to mind is a Napoleon Hill quote, which is something along, along the lines of. Within every adversity or hardship, there is the seed of an equal or greater opportunity. And you have to look at this and just be like, okay, this sucks, but what can I learn from it? Right. What what didn't they like? What didn't fit? What did I do wrong? What what went wrong or, or, or didn't work out or didn't line up for this to happen? And what can I take from that? And in a situation like this, it's tough because there's a lot of blurred lines, but that's really all you can do. And, you know, you got to stay persistent. It's, it's, I was talking to a friend the other day. One of my friends is actually kind of ill and she's been in the hospital and she, she, uh, was talking to another friend of mine who's been ill and, and she says like, it's really easy to feel sorry for yourself. And this one friend said, you know what I do is I just give myself five minutes. I set a timer. I literally set a timer and I say five minutes and then I cry and I complain. I talk about how this is the end and I hate it and blah, blah, blah. And then that five minutes is up. Okay, great. Going back to fighting this. And she's like, so just let yourself feel those feelings, put a, put a box around it. And then when you're done, just say, okay, you acknowledge those feelings, get back to your life. Wow. Get back to making it happen. Get wow. back on the horse. I think Monica Gillespie talked about that when she came on the she podcast did. about it. some actor she knows who gives himself 24 hours, right? Yeah. To just be throw a, a bastard and throw a tantrum <laughs> yeah. and, you know, cuss and stuff. And he's like, just don't be my friend for that 24 hours because you will not like what you see. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but just to... Just I to like it, the breakup thing. Though. Yeah. That's, and just to acknowledge that this is just part of the process and it's okay, it's okay to feel that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then when you're done with it go back to to being a persistent person pounding the pavement getting out there doing the work you know so I, a lot of times those feelings just they just want to be heard I, and i don't want to make light of it either but i was thinking about this when i was reading the email and i was like you know i was really bummed and then i was like well you know he did get to spend two weeks on a cruise ship it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. pretty cool and get paid for it yeah you know there are worse things <laughs> um yeah but I, I i agree the my 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 only response really is just the persistence yeah persistency that's <laughs> right said that in a while right that Persist- was like episode 10 persistence or yeah. and consistency persistency yeah. matt thank you for writing in yeah we um, really appreciate it that, that kind of vulnerability is what makes this podcast uh what it is so thank you very much another email from I'm going to Giov- butcher this I name. I think it's Giovanna Cicelli. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm cool. pretty sure. Since you said it closer than I would have said it, I'm going to let you uh, <laughs> read this one. Well, it's, uh, I think it's Italian. Giovanna 
Giovanna Sicelli. She wrote in and she just basically had a question about, I can summarize it really. She had a question about uh, accent resources, like learning accents, um, Hmm. books, CDs, so on and so forth. I actually responded to her uh, at length kind of breaking down all of the things that, that I know of, but do you have any that sort of jump out at you right off the bat? My initial response when I saw this email was that right off the bat, we have a friend of the podcast that specializes in, in mm-hmm. accents and dialects, and uh, her name is Pamela Vanderway, and mm-hmm. she's on uh, Twitter. Her her Twitter username is dialect411, mm-hmm. and uh, she's got a website, and she's available for coaching and things mm-hmm. like that. And I put her I put her in the email. Yeah, and you, email and you mentioned that. Mm-hmm. But uh, I know there's a ton of books and tapes and things out there, too, so yeah. I don't know if you want to run down the resources well, that you I suggested. I, I, I won't go through all of them, but th- this is something that actually comes up for me a lot. Uh, that 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 movie of the week thing I was just talking about with a lifetime thing. I had to do a Dutch accent for that. I've had to do Russian. I've had to do Israeli. You've done I've had a to ton do of Arab. accents this well, year. It's Mister Ethnically Ambiguous. Da, 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 da. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I always have to do this, so it, for me, it's actually very very important. Awesome. So I have a couple of things. Uh, I did mention uh, Pamela's blog and website and Twitter handle. I'm a big fan of uh, Robert Blumenfeld's book, which is called Accents, and it comes with a couple of audio CDs, and you can listen to the you can listen to him do the accents. Now it's a little weird because it's you only get it from one one voice. He's a he's a older male actor. So you only hear a male actor doing these accents, which may, I don't know, might be tough for a, a female listening to it. I'm not really sure. But he just, the book is fantastic because he breaks down every single accent from like the history of the country, who colonized that country, if, 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 if people colonized the country, you know, so that you can understand where the accent comes wow, from. he's that thorough with it? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's only a page and a half. Of like the history, so you can literally read through an accent. I read through a Dutch accent in like you know twenty five minutes. Wow! I read through all the history of you know the country and like you know that they colonized. Obviously, you know Afrikaner really interesting. in Africa, and then you had them colonizing Indonesia, um, which is where my last name comes from, by the way. Uh, and 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 so he breaks down the whole history of the language and talks about why they have certain sounds in their language and how that affects the way that they speak English. So if they don't have the W sound, the W sound, that's why they would say things like V, ver, ver, are you going, stuff right, like that. Right. So he breaks it all down. Then he has examples in the book. And then he has the CD that you can listen to. Now, the one thing that I don't like about Robert Blumenfeld's book is he doesn't use IPA. He doesn't use the International Phonetic Alphabet. He basically came up with his own phonetic alphabet, which you kind of have to study in order to figure out the book. So if you are a student of IPA, well, I almost said IAP. That's weird. (laughs) If you're a student of IPA, it might be kind of difficult to use that as a resource. Mm -hmm. But I'm a big fan of that book. The other thing that I pointed her in the direction of is if you were in one of the major markets like New York or Los Angeles, you can always walk into a Sam French. First of all, they have an entire section dedicated to this kind of stuff, like accents and stuff. But then they also have a section where you they used to have tapes, but I'm sure they have to be CDs now. They just have a section where you can just go through and say, oh, I want to learn British RP. And you just literally grab the CD 
off the shelf and pay for that. And it's like, I don't know, 15, 20, 25 bucks. So you can learn accents piecemeal, um, which is great for if you're doing a specific role, maybe not necessarily an audition. And then last but certainly not least, you know, the internet. You know, you can go online and just say, you know, just type in like literally uh, for Gospel According to First Squad, I typed in Afghani or uh, uh, Pashto accents. And I found this this uh, half a page long paragraph of this woman speaking English, but with a Pashto accent. It was extremely helpful. A um, paragraph? So this was written out in <clears throat> some sort of phonetic? No, no, no. It was written out in English. And then there was a little play button. Oh, that on you hear her. The, so you just click oh, the play button and she, she she read it and you could just follow along That's and cool. listen to how this the sounds changed. That's cool. You know, and if you have to be a, a good mimic like somebody like myself who's ethnically ambiguous, you just learn to you know to pick out a couple of the vowel sounds that change, a couple of the consonant sounds that change, and really focus on those and not try to get caught up in trying to make everything sound different. And if you can just nail the most specific top like three or four vowel changes and consonant changes you're golden it will sound like a, a legitimate accent hacking so. dialects hacking dialects yeah <laughs> i love great. that i love that right on somebody read a book cool get, get tim ferris on the phone yeah, right, right right the four-hour dialect <laughs> <laughs> cool very nice so thank you for writing in giovanna giovanna yes that's a hot name um moving on to voicemails <laughs> Moving on to voicemails. We have some great voicemails from, uh, from uh, well, the first one is from our buddy Ben Whitehair, who, yes. we, who we alluded to, to whom we alluded. He, he almost like called us on some, not really called us, but he disagrees with something that we, we mentioned in a recent episode. So let's go ahead and play this. And, Which is fine. Which and then, uh, no, we love this stuff. So, AJ, it's Ben Whitehair calling uh, to say, uh, first of all, keep up the good work. I've been loving the podcast makes my commute through L.A. that much more enjoyable. Sweet. I actually wanted to call and uh, ask about something that you guys had said. Uh, I think it was in the uh, the podcast with Bjorn Johnson, and you were talking about how you don't think that it's ever the actor's responsibility to care about the audience's reaction. I think the comment was something about, yeah, the audience's reaction is never the actor's responsibility, and I feel like maybe that's our only responsibility um, if we hmm. are not giving the audience what Touche. they should be getting or be presenting something to them that could be, uh, you know, that is of value to them, then what, what is our job? Otherwise, we're just acting for ourselves. To me, I think the audience is perhaps uh, the most important thing. And maybe that's a really David Mamet way to look at it, which, <laughs> you know, could be good or not. But read the lines. We'd just be just curious to uh, have you guys explore that topic a little bit more and maybe... Uh, Going a little more depth on what uh, what your opinions were on that. Hope you guys are having a great week. Right on. Hopefully, I'll see you both very soon. Well, thanks, Ben. Thanks for calling. It. It's so funny because I just saw him last night, and at that point, I didn't know he had left this voicemail. So, yeah, which he so left funny. before last night. Yeah. Uh, so the question essentially was: We said at one point that it was me. It was it was you that said it. It was me. Right. So you said. That I the, said that the the audience's reaction or their emotions, what they're feeling, is not an actor's responsibility. And he's saying that he thinks it's the it is it's the, the only the, thing the, the only actor's responsible. That's their job, basically. Mm-hmm. So he's playing devil's advocate to that point, which I I think that both are absolutely valid. I can qualify what I said more, but I kind of want to. I don't know. I wish Ben was here so we could like have a whole <laughs> conversation about. It. But what do you think about this before I? Well, it's it's tough because you know it's tough because they're they're both true. You know, you have to go up there and just do honest work, and you have to accept that, that at least in theater, 
some nights you're just going to have audiences that aren't that are quiet. And when you're on stage, there are times when you can feel that the audience is with you, and there are times when maybe you don't feel it, but it doesn't mean that you're right. You know what I mean? Like there are times when I've been like, man, this audience is dead and they hate the show and no one's, and then people have come to me afterwards and been like, that was the most riveting experience of my life. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, really? Cause I heard people coughing and shuffling and I thought you guys were bored out of your minds, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's like, you have to disassociate from that a little bit and not be so hard on yourself mm-hmm. from moment to moment going, oh, they're not with me. They're not with me. They're not with me. And I think less about the audience is more the actor's responsibility to just play. And this is going to sound so cliched, but play the truth of the moment. And you have to just kind of trust that that honesty and that truth is going to come across and the audience will take what they will from it. But if you're constantly catering to the audience and trying to, to give them something rather than live in the moment yourself, you're, I think you're short, you're skirting your responsibility, your primary responsibility, I should say, as an actor. But also, why do we exist? Why do we tell stories? We have to have an audience, right? Otherwise, theater is not theater. So it's right. like, so Ben's right too. So it's, you know, I, it's that, semantics is that's what a, it is. That's a great summary of what I was trying to say, basically. That's almost exactly what I was trying to say. The only thing I would add on to that, or piggyback onto that, is I... I guess what I'm trying to say is, or trying to, you know, advise people to avoid is I can't tell you how many times I've seen actors. Oh, this happens so much. Or I, I, I go to like, let's say it happens more in comedy usually, but let's say I go to a comedy and the audience is quiet. They are, you know, just kind of taking it in They're whatever they're, it's low energy. Maybe there's not a lot of people in the audience who knows. And of course we're sticking to theater to make our points here, but and then you see that one, two, maybe the entire cast of actors who start to try. And you know as an actor or as an audience member, you see As an it. audience member, you can smell it. As an actor, it drives you crazy because it's like, it's like ugh, crawling up my spine. Yeah. It drives me crazy because you shouldn't be trying for a reaction from the yeah. audience. You should just be doing, as you said, the truth at the moment, the truth of the work. And then, and that's what I mean about it not being your responsibility. Whatever happens to them, happens to them. It's a collaboration of, of, of minds and artists, and that is how you're going to create these moments that may elicit some kind of catharsis or what have you, yeah. laughter yeah. from the audience. When you're actually doing that, one, two, three hour performance, I, I don't feel like you, you know, your responsibility is to be. Yeah. And, and, and then what happens to the audience is what happens to them. Yeah. That was my, that was my point. Um, so, so yeah, Ben, Ben is absolutely correct. As far as I'm saying, putting together the work, the collaboration between those artists, starting with the writer, then the director, then the actors. But when it's opening night or when it's, you're in the middle of a performance. If you are listening for laughter, waiting for a reaction, or, then you're not in the scene. Yeah, but it, your, your, your responsibility, as far as somebody's emotionality is concerned, your responsibility is the other person in the scene with you. What are you yeah. getting from them? What do you need from them? What is your obstacle? What is your objective? I mean, we're getting into yeah. you know acting one hundred and one here. But. I, I totally agree. And I think, like I said, I think there's a lot of shades of gray here. You know, if you get into a, sure. a, a television, 
or a film situation where you have five lines and your goal is to move the story in this direction and it's and it's very specific how it has to play out and if it doesn't mm-hmm. play out that way then the audience is going to get lost or the take's not going to work or the director's going to get fired up or whatever sometimes you have to yeah you have to play and try and solicit a specific reaction from the audience um who you're not even going to meet or see or be in the presence of. They're going to see you on film. So there's, you know, I think, I don't think it's a question of right and wrong. I think it's just a question of when does it apply more here and when does it apply more here. Sure. If that that makes sense. Yeah. Um, That's, but that was such a good talking point. I mean, I'm so glad that Ben wrote or called in with that because um, that was a little bit of a noodle baker, I think, actually, what just happened. (laughs) (laughs) Let's start the year off right. Right. Let's get, let's get to the noodle baking early. (laughs) So, Ben, thank you so much for calling in, man. And um, on a personal note, thanks for coming to see my musical last night. Um, <laughs> it was really awesome to see you there. Uh, I love that's it. About, I love it. That's about all we have time for, actually, for this section of the podcast. We have a, a bunch more emails and voicemails. Um, so those of you who have called in and written in, thank you. We're going to get to it, but we want to make sure that our first episode of the year isn't three hours long. So Yeah, stay tuned. We, 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 we got them there flagged in our in yeah. our inbox and yeah we will be getting to them absolutely and we're excited to talk about many of them yes um so before we jump into the interview uh real quick since it is the new year i just i would be remiss if i didn't you know stop and mention our our first sponsor who you know yeah. i already held near dear to my, my heart but now that they're sponsoring the podcast it's just fantastic and we're talking about samovar which we of course mentioned um at the top of the episode trevor and i actually have been Sipping on uh, some Wuyi Dark Roast, which is an oolong tea. Wuyi Dark Roast. Wuyi Dark Roast, which is an oolong tea from Samovar. What is an oolong tea? What does oolong mean? Well, uh, I'm not sure, but it's a, they're darker teas. And these actually, if you're addicted to coffee, this is a great way to transition yourself away from that if you if you want to if if that's something that you're interested in doing um because these guys first of all this is a very dark tea and it kind of reminds me of of it's not as you know as potent as coffee it's it's a lot smoother a lot nicer and uh but it does have a sort of slow caffeine release Hmm. and it doesn't make you feel you know jittery and stuff like caffeine can sometimes do and uh teas are generally much more subtle yeah, yeah, yeah. And this one, you know, is great. I think this one's a great transition for somebody who, you know, does drink coffee because it's so dark and because it's got, it almost has a coffee flavor yeah. to it. It has a roast flavor, if that yes. makes any sense at yes. all. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Cool. And um, it came to us and uh, we got some new, Samar just came out with some new packaging. We just, and this one is actually in their new packaging. Which is as <laughs> I want to hold it up for a camera somewhere. Or something. <laughs> like here it is, Vanna White style. Um, you would make a great Vanna White. Trevor. Thank you. Um, <laughs> it's cool. I, I love this tea, man. I love Samovar, and I'm really getting into the tea lifestyle with with you guys, with both uh, UAJ and our producer Nelson. And it's just cool, man. The, their their logo or their tagline: Practice peace, drink tea. Yeah, there's a little some of our lives little they have, picture they have on all there. these really awesome <laughs> stickers that i have yeah. some at home and they're actually including them in their packaging now one of them uh one of my favorites is actually it's a picture of a or a or a a, a, a silhouette of a teapot and it just says social medium <laughs> that's great that's great which i love i love i love yeah cool so, so if people want to hear more or here if you want to learn more about uh this tea and, and the other teas check out samovarlife.com 
we'll uh, we'll put a link to that on the website and uh, check them out if you if you want. You can email them, tell them that Inside Acting sent you. We don't get a kickback or anything for any of that. The the folks in yeah, you guys know the owner, don't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. Jesse yeah. is is. I mean, talk about people who care about their customers, their products, all of that. Like these guys are the real deal. I couldn't be more happy to have them involved. It's uh that's very cool. It. So samovarlife.com, check out the uh, check out the wooey dark roast oolong tea. <laughs> we just had some actually before we started recording and it's it's quite good. Quite quite quite. So, all right, let's uh, let's do this thing. Let's do some uh, interviewing. All right. So guys, enjoy part 1 of our interview with Marcy Liroff, casting director. She's got some knowledge bombs um, and we'll see you all on the other side. All right, guys, welcome back. We are sitting here with casting director Marcy Leroff. We're very excited to have her as the first guest of uh, 2011. So welcome welcome to the show, Marcy. Thanks. Welcome to my living room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thanks for, for coming over here. We're actually recording the whole thing in, in Marcy's living room, which is amazing. We've been invited to some pretty interesting places. Have you? Um, yeah, to, to do the recordings, which is great. It's nice to have the portable studio. Yeah. So mm-hmm. thank you very much for having us. You're welcome. So um, we like to usually start at the uh, the very beginning. I mean, you've, you've obviously done some, some pretty major work. I mean, you're first cast director credit on imdb that i saw was et back in uh was it 84 1984 and then you've got a long list of credits since then of some pretty notable mm-hmm. projects and i know that you've worked with some pretty big players i think about as big as they get um so it's 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 awesome to chat with you but before we do all that how did you get started with this what was the what was the impetus for getting into the entertainment industry and then maybe getting into the casting part of it was it accidental was it um, something that you were really focused on. How did it? How did that all unfold? Well, I didn't grow up wanting to be a casting director, if that's what you're asking, because I didn't at the time even know what it was. I knew that I wanted to do something in entertainment, and I didn't know if it was music or film. I knew I wanted to be in the arts somehow. So getting out of college, I started doing jobs in the business. My first job was for this company called Dimension uh, Dimension Films, not Dimension Pictures that exists now, but D- Dimension Films did, uh, we sold the rights to black exploitation movies. These were kind of a, a genre of um, African-American films, uh, pretty famous in the late let's say late seventies, uh, films like, uh, black shampoo and dolomite. And, uh, these really horrible <laughs> movies, but I learned about distribution and I was doing foreign distribution. So I was an assistant to the VP selling these movies to the middle East and whatnot. So I stayed there for about a year and learned a lot about marketing and, uh, distribution. And then I went to ICM and I was an assistant to an agent, a TV agent at ICM. And I learned inside of a week that I did not have any plans to be an agent. I really didn't <laughs> like the sales of it all. But that's where I learned what a casting director does because we were selling our clients to the casting directors. And uh, in the office that I was working um, at at ICM, we were uh, covering lots of great TV shows like Mork and Mindy and um, Taxi and some really fun shows, Happy Days. And so I would at night go on the set 
and watch them being filmed, which was, you know, in the heyday of Robin Williams just kind of trying out his Mork of Mork and Mindy. And um, on Taxi, I would, this was, you know, back in the day when you could just kind of, there wasn't so much security like there is now. And so I could literally go and stand on the stage on in the in the wings while they were shooting. So Andy Kaufman, as Latka, would try to pick up on me. You know, he would be so in character. And so I just, I got really immersed into the world and into to, um, actors. And I really just fell in love with actors and, and loved the um, the way they could just rip open their hearts and show you their insides without any kind of, um, with such ease, you know, such a vulnerability. So I really came to revere actors. So after working at ICM for about a year, or so, I thought, I'm going to go into casting. I really like that end of things. So I um, kind of put out the word to my buddies and got a job at Fenton Feinberg Casting. And back then, casting was very different than it is today in that there were probably 10 or 15 major casting offices across the country. Now there are about 300 casting directors across the country. So at the time that I started there, they were a very busy office. They were doing lots and lots of projects. And I was there at a really ripe time. And they were good at training me. And I, in turn, started as, as Mike Fenton's assistant. And then I got uh, UCLA and USC interns to come and answer the phone so that it could get me off the front desk and into the room and make myself a little bit more useful. And I just kind of, you know... I, I made myself indispensable, you know, rather than just kind of sitting there and, and doing what they asked me to do, I was coming up with lists all the time and I was coming up with ideas and, uh, they trained me and, and they saw that I could kind of take the ball and run with it. And it was at a time when they were very, very busy and they had a lot on their plate and they're kind of spread a little thin. So things just kind of fell into my lap at a really great time, yeah. like E.T., and poltergeist and I was doing them with Mike Fenton, but a lot of the, the legwork and finding the kids fell to me. So when I, I ended up staying there for like five years, I used it as school. And when, uh, the movie Footloose came along, um, the, the writer Dean Pitchford and the producer Craig Zayden ran into Steven Spielberg at dinner one night and ET had just come out. And I finally got my name on a, on a movie because I'd been working there for a while and was not getting real billing yet. There weren't such things. These, the term casting associate hadn't really started yet, to be honest. So I was doing a lot of the casting and not really getting billing. And so finally on ET and, and Poltergeist, they gave me, the producers gave me billing. So when they ran into Spielberg, um, they asked, uh, who, who cast your movie? Cause we're about to start Footloose and we really liked the way it was cast. And thank God he said me. So that's how I got Footloose and brought that into the company and left shortly thereafter. Cause I realized I could do this on my own. It's hmm. really interesting that you didn't ha- it's like you didn't have your own office during that time. Um, and you know, we're doing things like, you know, as iconic as, you know, ET Poltergeist. Well, I mean that for those five years, like, but I, I was working under the auspices of Fenton Feinberg. They were the ones that got the job. So I didn't have my own office because I was, you know, I was working for them. Right, right. Okay, okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And I was like 12 years old at the time, so. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool that, that people look at the film and say, I really like the way that was cast. Who did that casting? It's rare. It's absolutely. Yeah. Well, they were looking for a casting director, and so they, they, they recognized that 
the casting director actually had something to do with the way it turned out, and it wasn't all just that Spielberg found these people. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you, you, do you hear that so often when directors go, I found so-and-so. And, you know, I found them. <laughs> right, and you brought <laughs> and them. And I brought to, them to, yeah. you know, I saw the 300 kids and narrowed it down and worked with them and directed them and brought them to you so that you could have this opportunity to find them. Mm. <laughs> Quote, unquote, find them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, do, do you do that? Do you find yourself doing that uh, when you watch films and... Do you can you let yourself go and, and watch a movie anymore, or are you constantly being like, I like or dislike or I'm tepid about the way that this film was cast? Well, it's kind of a combination of of both. I'm always working. You know, my eyes are always peeled. I'm when I'm watching a movie, I'm always going, oh, who's that? And, and you know, I kind of keep a pad next to the you know next mm. to me, and I'm you know if it's there's somebody new, I write them down and look them up. Uh, the same thing, you know, in a play, or even if I'm reading a magazine and I see somebody that's kind of new to me, I'm going to, um, you know, write it down and, and put it in my files. Um, for me, casting is, the casting has to disappear. The actors should disappear into the framework of the movie and into the world that they set up. So somebody is kind of standing out in a way, um, that's probably not good casting. And I don't mean standing out in the way that, um, uh, in the fighter, the way that Christian Bale stands out because he's just being amazing. But, uh, like uh, this movie rabbit hole, I don't know if you've seen rabbit hole. No, I really want to. Yeah. It's a really, it was based on a play and it's a really wonderful movie. Uh, really interesting story. And I personally, I don't feel like Nicole Kidman who I love, I think she was great in the hours. I've seen her do a lot of really wonderful work. But I think she stands out in this movie, and I don't see her disappear into the character, into mm. the skin of the character. Mm. It just doesn't feel organic to me. So is that something that you find, is that something you coach actors towards when you're auditioning them for, for roles? You, I mean, I would imagine that you bring them in and you really look for chemistry, first of all, mm-hmm. and then maybe you're coaching them to not steal the scene so much or chew the scenery so much. I mean, that kind of thing. Well, you have to not act and you have to not try. You just have to be. So if someone is, uh, over the top, so to speak, you know, you want to direct them to kind of turn it down a couple notches and you've got to be honest and you've got to be real. Hmm. I mean, if someone walked into a room and started acting that way, it wouldn't be real. You just, you know, we're having a conversation here. That's, that's what, how it's supposed to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What was that? What's that quote? Uh, good acting is autobiography. That's a quote we, we picked up a few weeks ago from yeah. our guests. And we just thought that was brilliant because that's what it is. It's, it's just kind of being, it's just living uh-huh. and, uh, and telling your life story through the context of that character and mm-hmm. that, that role in that script. Yeah. What do you, what, <clears throat> I wonder if you come across, um, something that actors consistently do that shoots themselves in the foot when they come into audition for a major project. I guess in addition to like, yeah, in addition to going over the top or yeah. I mean, is there any one thing that you see over and over again that you wish actors just, just knew? Where do I start? (laughs) (laughs) Oh no. What did we do? We opened Pandora's box. box. That's right. (laughs) Where do I start? Pandora's box. You're so nice about it too. Like you had a big smile on your face. Like where do I start? Hmm. Well, there's so many things that 
can go wrong. I mean, it's just kind of amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I teach an audition class, actually, and I coach actors to help prepare them for, for their auditions because you can be a really well-trained actor, be really good at what you do, and have all the skills, but the audition is like a whole other animal. It's really biz- a bizarre setting. You're walking into these rooms full of strangers, and you're supposed to act and be that person. So it's already set up to be so unreal. It's you know you're not on stage, you're not acting with another actor, you're not in front of a camera. So it's already like you have all these things that are against you, right? Mm. I mean, you've been in those situations. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've had people come in and. I always say they blow it before their butt hits the chair. And what I mean by that is they come in and they, <laughs> you're getting up, uh, you're getting uptight already, right? No, nope, uh, <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. I just, um, I, I kind of love that. I, I think we're going to have to add that to our, our running list of awesome quotes from our guests. Yeah. Blow it before their butt hits the chair. Well, it's a, um, to give you specifics, it's, it's when we're casting a role and I'm sitting there with the producer, and with the director we get a vibe off of you when you come in and we need we need to feel comfortable around you and we need to know that when we're on set with you that you're going to help us make our day it's like we're taking this risk uh we want it to be an educated risk but we're taking a risk by hiring you and bringing you onto our project so we need to know that you're going to be responsible and that you're going to know your lines and that you're not going to um, act unprofessionally. So when you come, so when an actor comes in, this happens very often, they come in and they kind of like they're like a hurricane. And they're like, oh my God, I just, I could not find a goddamn parking space. And I, I got so lost and, and their sides are flapping and their photos falling out of their purse and their purse opens up and they literally haven't sat down yet. And already everybody's kind of going like, mm-hmm. and kind of backing up. Um, or they come in and they sit down and they're like, oh my God, I hate to audition. I'm so bad at auditioning. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Really? Who, who says that? I know. How come I'm not working more? How <laughs> <laughs> do so, I do these things? Yeah, we see, we think, we see things like that. And, and I'm sitting there going, you know, zip it. Shut up. <laughs> and I usually just like interrupt them just to get them to stop prattling on about what they're talking about because it's making everyone uncomfortable. Hmm. Or else they'll come in and um, tell... A really intimate story because they're nervous. Like they'll tell a personal story that just is really inappropriate for the room. <laughs> All right, you have to give an example. Yeah, we got it. We got it here. <laughs> I want the worst one. <laughs> uh, no, you know I don't want to. Um, no, <laughs> I, I have a few, and they'll, they'll go in my book. <laughs> Right on. When I'm right on my on. way out of the business, when it, when it doesn't matter any, anymore, yeah. Um, but what I see a lot is people coming in unprepared, and everybody goes, "Well, what what does that mean, unprepared?" Um, it means you're. When I'm casting a film, the script is always available, unless it's you know a top secret project where where no one gets the script. But so if the script is available, you better have read it when you come in to audition for me. Uh, so many times actors come in and they go, oh, I just got the sides or, oh, I just got this last night. I didn't have time. Well, that says to me that you don't care 
you're unprofessional, you're disrespectful to me, to the writer, to the director, uh, to yourself. I mean, if you're a surgeon and you have surgery the next morning, I know that you're going to be up that night going over your notes and going over and studying and like reading up on it. This is your job Hmm. as an actor. What else do you have to do but read the script? Now, if the script's not available, which often happens in television, I did a TV series last year. (laughs) That was my dog. I don't know if you heard that. (laughs) Let me out! Um, I did a TV series last year, and I was very surprised to see that they don't send out the weekly scripts. And I just think it puts the actor at such a disadvantage um, in terms of trying to build a character and knowing the tone of the piece. But I understand why they don't want their scripts out ahead of time so that you know, they get into everyone's hands and then the whole storyline is blown before, before it airs. So, uh, we release a breakdown that's as good as possible that, that gives you as much information as possible. And, um, the playing ground is leveled because no one's getting the script. Uh, but what you can do as an actor is you can read the breakdown. You can read all the characters in the breakdown. You could um, read all the sides that are available. So that'll help you kind of piece together what's going on in the story. So if the script's out there and you're not reading it, then that just says lazy to me. This is. Uh, do you have a question? Oh, go ahead. I was going to say this might actually be a, a decent segue into one of my questions that I'm interested in, in <coughs> discussing, which is the differences between. Um, Feature film casting, uh, t- TV casting, that was my commercial casting. Okay, there you go. <laughs> you stole my question. Um, yeah, because um, you know we have had a commercial casting director, we've had uh, sort of indie film casting directors on before. We haven't yet had a, a, a television casting director mm-hmm. really, um, and you do a lot of feature casting. So I'm just wondering, um, in your experience, kind of what the major differences are, you know, including. Actors not getting scripts. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe the pace uh, is different, and, and sort of do you do you personally come at it from a different you know point of view? Basically, the meat and potatoes of what I do is, is feature film casting. I have done some television in the past, and I'm doing it more and more um, as as time goes on. I uh, the pacing is a huge difference. Uh, on films, we normally have about ten to twelve weeks to cast a film. On uh, on a TV series, we have we get the script a week ahead. A week ahead of the shooting a, a, of the, schedule. A, of, yeah, when we start shooting. Wow. So uh, and if and it, you know it depends on your schedule. It, that's for a half an hour. On an hour, you might get it a little bit uh, a little bit before that. So um, it's just really fast. And when you're casting a pilot, you're also competing against all the other pilots that are casting at that time. And so it feels like, to me, not so much like you're trying to get the right people for the role. You're trying to get the right guy in your chair, in your room, before the next guy gets him. Many times when we're casting a pilot, we'll have one day of casting, we'll like a couple people, and we immediately have to take them to test because if we don't test them and, and hook them up and lock them up into a contract, the next guy is going to get them. And so we're making these decisions and like going to test before we've even done our homework yet and, and seen all the people yet. So it's a weird system and it's kind hmm. of broken and I don't really know how to get around it, but it's, it's 
I, I feel like when, when a show gets cast really well, it's like a miracle every time that it happens because <laughs> the competition is so stiff and you're just kind of running this race trying to grab these people out of the pool, the talent pool before the next show gets them. Hmm. Do you find that that talent pool is like a, is that a is that a relatively small core group of actors that everybody's looking at? Well, it depends on what you're looking for and what you know. Sometimes you're you're doing a show and you kind of need a name to anchor it. Sometimes they want new people, so it depends. But I mean, if you're doing you know a leading man or a leading woman of forty, it's kind of a finite uh, situation. Hmm. I hmm. mean, it's kind of a, a finite group, a finite list. Right. Uh, because they're, you know, at that age, forties and fifties, it's, it's a known quantity. Yeah. Um, however, uh, uh, just to contradict what I just said, um, I cast this, um, pilot for Paul Reiser called the Paul Reiser show coincidentally. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it got picked up to series and he specifically wanted not recognizable names or faces, not household names. It's based on his life, and so I needed someone to play his wife. And it's hard casting someone that's a real-life person because the people get attached to who they really are, and they want them to kind of be exactly like that. But I needed an actor to play that part. First, Paul kept saying, um, I need someone like you, you know, like like you, you know, just like a, you know attractive... Jewish woman that I would get along with, you know, kind of sexy. And then, and then he would say, I need someone like you, but younger. <laughs> <laughs> so then it became like me, but younger. So like I said, there's this finite list of actors, you know, women in their forties. We're probably going to know, you know, know them, but he didn't really want a name. So it was tricky. Like who, how am I going to find someone in their forties who we don't know already? So I um, had seen the Coen Brothers movie, A Serious Man, I think that's what yeah. it was called. And uh, the woman that played the sexy neighbor, Amy Landecker, who's out of Steppenwolf in Chicago, uh, she'd been acting, but you know, not a big household name, really attractive, wonderful, funny. Uh, she came in and read and tested and got the part. So every once in a while, you'll be able to pull a rabbit out of a hat like that. Mm. Out of this supposedly, you know, this finite group. Pacing, actors not getting the script. Well, another thing um, about TV casting that's very different than film casting is that they make up their minds, they being the network and the studio, like that. Hmm. Really quickly. And when I first started casting television, it was very disturbing to me. Because on a film, we usually look at all their work. We look at a lot of their films. We do a screen test. We, we see all the people that we're supposed to see. We weigh it out. It's a big decision. Um, in television, you go in and you test. First you read for me, then you read for the producer and director. If we like you, we bring you in to test for the studio. If, if they like you, then you go and you test at the network. But in these rooms where you, where you, uh, we make the decisions, it's like they make up their minds in two seconds flat. They, it's, it's like, and Les Moonves actually explained this to me because I was kind of horrified the first time the decision came down. And he said, listen, when somebody walks on the screen on a TV show, we've got to know who they are, who their character is, like that. There isn't a lot of time to build a character on a TV show. You know, on a half-hour show, you have, what is it, 22 minutes, you know, with commercials? Mm -hmm, right. 
somebody walks on the screen, you're going to know who they are instantly. So when they make their, up their minds really quickly, it's because they get that, you know, that visual and they get that sense of who they are as a person the, the moment they open their mouth. Hmm. That's really fascinating. Scary because, too, isn't it? <laughs> it? It is, but I think that's, that's actually advantageous to actors to know that kind of thing because there's only a handful of different archetypes that are that are written for these kind of episodics and that, mm-hmm. and that they're, they need to be instantly recognizable to someone reading the script, someone watching the show. Like you have to be able to tune in and say right away, Oh, that's the skeptic character yes. or that's the comedic yes. relief or that's the bad, you know, like you have to, so if actors know that kind of thing mm-hmm. and they can identify that with this, with the role, they could, they know that, okay, cool. When I walk onto my screen test here, when I walk mm-hmm. in front of the camera, I've got to make sure I'm selling the sidekick yes. from from the first word. Exactly. Yeah. It's and a lot it's of what like, we talked about with Mark Atterbury too, with the, the, the type stuff, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. just knowing what, what you're, what, how people are going to see you and your type and then just really you know, playing that up and really going after that and, mm-hmm. and really being specific about it. Uh, but that said, <clears throat> I am the queen of casting against type. Mm, okay. Because to me, that's really um, infinitely more interesting. So that'll really confuse your, <laughs> your <laughs> well, tell, I mean, expound on that. Tell, tell us, listeners. tell us more about, about what that well, means to you or wh- why you do it or it doesn't always work. And I certainly don't do it just for the hell of doing it. But, um, many times things get written in kind of a cliche way and I might find it more interesting to see someone in the part that maybe doesn't fit, that's going to bring something to it that maybe isn't on, isn't on paper yet. Um, a classic example of this, and this was years ago, but I was casting Footloose, and the role of the preacher was written as this Paul Newman-esque, very handsome, salt-and-pepper-haired uh, preacher. And I thought, okay, that's interesting. I, I see what you're going for. But wouldn't John Lithgow be really interesting in that part? Isn't he going to bring something else to it that maybe you didn't even think of? And I know the director looked at me like I was crazy. And I was just starting out then, and so it was kind of a big, bold move to make. And he came in, and he auditioned, and he read with me. You know, our our hair went up on our arms, on the back of my neck. The director gave him the part in the room. So you might think that it should be one way, and then... You know, I think my job is to kind of help the the filmmakers see it uh, in in a new way, hmm. and that keeps it fresh. It still helps to kind of know who you are, though. I'm, I'm thinking that, that oh, you do need to there's know like who two you sides. Are. There's two sides of the story. That's a, what, what you you know your eye and what mm-hmm. that brings to the project, and then what the work that we as actors put in, mm-hmm. and sort of you know they obviously those two things meet in the room, but they don't necessarily have to be. Um, as you said, cliched. What I'm seeing lately is a lot of, you know, with the advent of the internet and all these people trying to sell, you know, how to act and how to audition and how to do it. It's, it's like they're, they're trying to espouse that there's a formula to it. I I mean, I'm here to tell you that there isn't, there's no guarantee that if you do a, B and C, you're going to get the role. There aren't, rules. I mean, there are rules and there aren't rules and there's, and there's rules meant to be broken. So it's really an intuitive thing on, on, on everybody's side. Yeah. There's not a, there's not a system or a formula. Mm -hmm. It's really just, just kind of play it by ear and go with what feels right. There are a lot of people that that. will tell you that there is a formula and I, I think it makes it the whole 
uh, the call, the whole aspect of what we're doing kind of soulless and mm. very much just a, like a mathematical equation. And it's just not what it is. Cause then it takes strips out all the art and creation yeah. of what your, your creativity of what you're doing. You know, what I, you know what I love about that is that I know a lot of actors might think like, Oh, well then they might throw up their hands and think like, well, then it's impossible. Like how, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? There's no formula. Like, like, what am I supposed to do? But the thing is, is, you know, as Bjorn Johnson would say, tell yourself a helpful story on my, from, from my perspective, the way that I'm going to look at it from now on is like those people made a decision in two seconds about someone. And it just wasn't me this time. You know what I mean? Like that, that's not something that I have any control over. Well, here's what you control. Like, and you, and you don't kind of don't even control what you look like. I mean, you have this face, you have this look, that's what you look like. There's not much you can do about that. (laughs) So, um, there are many, many things in the casting process and in this business and in life that are completely out of your control. But what you can control is walking into the room and being prepared and being good. And if you continue to do that, then you are on the right path and that equation will pay off one day for you because you walk in and maybe you just don't fit into this family that I've already set up or you don't fit into the world. You physically just don't fit into the world that I'm, that the filmmakers putting together, Hmm. but you're really good. And we're just kind of going, God, man, that guy's really good. And the producer goes, you know, he's really more right for this other thing that I'm developing. And, or, you know what, he's so great that I'm going to write, I'm going to rejigger this role and write it for him. When I was, again, on Footloose, the role of Kevin Bacon's uh, buddy, uh, Willard, was written as a jock, a really good looking football star. And I had just worked with Chris Pan. I cast All the Right Moves. And I just loved this, this boy. I just loved him. And he was so one of a kind. And so I, I brought him in and like, let's take a chance. And he was so astounding because everybody else came in and they did it exactly like you would expect. And it just kind of got boring after a while. But then this kid comes in and he brings this fresh new energy and he's very unique. And they completely rewrote the role for him. They Hmm. rewrote it for him. So like I said, you keep going into these rooms and you're just good all the time. People will remember you. We have great memories, the casting community. And we'll think of you for something else. And so do the producers. They'll, they'll, you know, we also on the Paul Reiser show, I cast a pilot that Paul Reiser did um, a few years ago. It ended up not getting picked up. But we were crazy about this, this young woman who was kind of just starting out. And we tried to shove her down the throats of the studio and the network, and they did not want her, and they just didn't think she was ready for it. And she since went on and, and actually got the lead in, in uh, a one-hour drama series. And then when we, when we picked up and did the pilot for this, this series, um, when, once we got picked up for a series, I said, uh, what about Michaela? And he goes, yes, she's perfect. And she got the role. And that was like three or four years later. Thank you for having a good memory. <laughs> well, that can work you against you as well. That. You exactly. walk in and you're one of those hurricane actors. That yeah, that's true. Parking. That's true. Mm-hmm. They're going to go, oh, this yeah. person doesn't So you then together. have to, you know, earn your way back in the room, which can have, you know, like you said, like you can come into the room, burn some bridges, be unprepared. I'm probably, you know, not going to bring you back for a while until I see something that's going to change my mind. Meaning you went and did some good work or I heard some great things about you. Hmm. Now, how, how could, what's the best way, what's the best way for actors to, to go about that? Let's say somebody came in, they 
didn't do so well. Um, and they wanted to, you know, quote unquote, get back in your good graces. Mm-hmm. Um, what would the best way, I mean, but the postcard thing, I feel like some people say that's really effective. Some people say don't postcard, they just go straight into the trash. How would somebody go about staying in touch with you and maybe trying to get you to change your opinion of, uh, well, it's like I said, it's, it's, um, what's going to change my mind is me seeing them do some good substantial work and them being good and me checking them out and hearing that they were professional. Okay. So it's uh, word so of mouth is a big part it's of it. Word of mouth. It's, you know, their agent saying, oh yes, he was, you know, going through a bad divorce or something like that. And, um, everything's fine now. And he's been working for, you know, A, B and C director and he's back on track. Okay, guys, welcome back. Hope you enjoyed part one of our interview with casting director Marcy Leroff. Part two is coming next week. And if you haven't checked out our website yet, hop on over to Inside Acting Podcast. We have an awesome kind of like video snippet of the interview that uh, our producer Nelson shot and put together um, that, that just looks awesome. And it's also kind of a chance for you to actually see her kind of face to face and kind of absorb some of those uh, nuggets of wisdom from her uh, while watching her. I don't know. It's cool. Go see it. <laughs> I don't know what I'm trying to say. It's just It's cool. Awesome. There's no other Just yeah. go. It's cool. That's yeah. cool. That's cool. And it looks great. We shot it on uh, Nelson's new, what is it, the Nikon D7000? Mm-hmm. And God, does it look good. Mm-hmm. God, it's a beautiful camera. Which I really wanted to make my pick of the week, but I thought that'd just be mean. Yeah. <laughs> hey, speaking, <laughs> of, speaking of picks of the week, what is your pick of the week? Uh, my pick of the week is actually a New York Times article, video, the New York Times, by the way, I don't know if you guys have been paying attention to their entertainment section on their website, but they have been releasing some awesome content, like this yeah. epic, epic content. And this is this is one of them. They have the uh, top performances of the last decade as told by a lot of the best actors of our generation right now. So you have people like George Clooney, Woody Harrelson, uh, Sandra Bullock. I think, does Natalie Portman do one? Uh, I can't remember, I but... Know. <clears throat> anyway, it's really great. It's just it's all it's all in black and white, fantastically shot, and oh, Julianne Moore. Oh, Julianne Moore is it's heartbreaking. Just watch mm. it. We'll put a link on the on the website. And uh, I thought that would be an, an interesting pick of the week because I didn't want to make the Oscar nominations my pick of the week because <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. It's not like a piece right. of content, but it's a good segue. Uh, we don't obviously have time this episode to talk about it. Maybe we'll talk about it in the next episode. But if you guys haven't had a chance to look. Obviously, the Oscar nominations came out what two weeks ago now. So by the time this airs, so uh, go go ch- go check that out and check out our website for the link to the New York Times video. Awesome. Your pick of the week, sir. My pick of the week. Uh, I was originally going to go with uh, one friend's project, and I decided to uh, go with another friend's project this week because it's a little more time sensitive. Um, one of the listeners of the podcast, Aurora. I'm hope I'm saying her last name right. Aurora De Blas. I think Aurora Celia de Blas is her name. And she's she's just a cool chick. She came to see group last night. She's been raising funds for this short film that she wants to um, basically produce and, and act in. She's creating her own work, really, basically. And um, she's got a couple peop- really cool people on board uh, as far as like producing it <clears throat> and shooting it and whatnot. She's got a, a couple great teasers together. She's getting a lot of backing. And um, it's a, it, the description on the website, which is incrediblegirlfilm.com, 
the description is a sexy short film about a diva who takes what she wants and the girl who almost follows in her footsteps. And it's based on this kind of experience that Aurora had while she was at a club one night. And it just sounds awesome. And I really want to support actors creating their own work. And Aurora is out there doing that. And she's really just kind of like hitting it every day. Just um, thanking people for donating, asking other people to donate, really working the press angle and making it happen. And I think that's really inspiring. And um, I kicked a few bucks to her, and y'all should go over there and kick a few bucks to her project, too. Go to IncredibleGirlFilm.com um, or just go on Indiegogo.com and do a search for Incredible Girl. And you'll be able to, uh, to donate. And there's, there's different like levels of rewards for the amount that you donate. So I think 15 bucks gets you like a download of this song that's being written for the film, as well as email updates about the production. And then go check it out. Incrediblegirlfilm.com. And, uh, Tell Aurora we sent you. Well, cool. Well, I think that does it for episode 41. I think it does. Yeah. Happy New Year, everyone. Welcome to 2011. If you want to get in touch with us, if you disagree with anything we said today, you have anything you'd like to add to, to what we said today, or if you have an actor audition horror story, we're still looking for those. We don't have enough to have a full episode about that yet. Uh, please get in touch with us. There are a a million ways to do it. That's right. For instance, checking out our <laughs> website at insideactingpodcast.com and leaving a comment there. Send in an email to insideactingpodcast at gmail.com. You can leave us a voicemail at 213-2-ACTORS. That's 213-222-8677. You can send us a tweet at uh, twitter.com slash insideacting or follow us or tweet at us individually. I'm twitter.com slash Trevor Algot. And I'm twitter.com slash digital actor. We've also got our Facebook fan page. Which, which by the way, I just got the URL for. We are now officially facebook.com slash insideacting. Thank goodness. Yeah. Gracious. Took that me is a long time. Epic. We were that like, just epic. search for it. And yeah. now you can actually go facebook.com slash insideacting. Beautiful. Facebook.com slash insideacting. Um, and... And what find us it? on iTunes. Oh, yeah. So leave yeah. us reviews, right? On yeah, iTunes and actor rated. Yeah. Yeah. Hop on iTunes. Uh, just do a search. You have to search for Inside Acting there. But leave us a review there. Um, the better the review, <laughs> the review, the happier we are. And uh, we're also on actor rated. Um, so just do a search on actor rated and uh, let them know you love us over there. Our happiness is directly proportional <laughs> to the reviews left on our iTunes page. This is largely true. <laughs> uh, and last You're but- a sad human being, <laughs> Last but not least, um, this podcast would not be possible without support from listeners like you. So if you like what you hear uh, and you want more of it, hop over to our website. Look on the right-hand side. There is, uh, there's two ways to donate to the podcast. You can leave a one-time lump sum donation, uh, any amount. No amount is too small. Um, and it's done through PayPal. And if you um, keep your receipt, you can write this off as an education expense uh, at tax time. Um, so you can do that, or you can actually do a monthly subscription. So if you like what you hear, you can kick us 3 bucks, 5 bucks, 10 bucks, or 20 bucks on a recurring monthly basis. And uh, all of it goes to help us cover production costs, pay for gas, pay for server space, uh, compensate us, you know, at least for a little bit for some of the time involved um, that it takes to produce this thing. So hop on over. Oh, and, our, and our, our equipment. It buys us new equipment. We have to replace a mic stand as of today. So, so um <laughs> So please send some money over <laughs> so we can buy the next thing. <laughs> All right. Um, so I think that does it. Awesome. <laughs> that that does it. it. I said it first. I said that does it for episode 41. Then we talked for 20 minutes. And now, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, No, that happens all the time. It so. does. It does. It does. Great. Uh, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. 